The following is a reading of Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, from Chapter 8, The John Goldline. A bit of background of the book before I start reading. Dagny Taggart is the vice president of Taggart Transcontinental, the largest train and railroad company in the country. She has teamed up with Hank Reardon, a metallurgist, who created a metal called Reardon Metal. This metal has never before been used in the public, and the John Gold line will be the first major use of the metal. Many people are against the use of this metal for the train line. This includes the president of Tiger Transcontinental, Dagny's brother, James. And this also includes other metallurgists, such as Orrin Boyle, and many other characters from the book, who you'll hear. If you have never read Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, I think it is worth a listen. Please enjoy. Thank you. It won't stand. The summer sun made blotches of fire on the windows of the city, and glittering sparks in the dust of the streets. Columns of heat shimmered through the air, rising from the roofs to the white page of the calendar. The calendar's motor ran on, marking off the last days of June. It won't stand, people said. When they run the first train on the John Gold line, the rail will split. They'll never get to the bridge. And if they do, the bridge will collapse under the engine. From the slopes of Colorado, freight trains rolled down the track of the Phoenix Durango, north to Wyoming, and the main line of Taggart Transcontinental, south to New Mexico, and the main line of the Atlantic Southern. Strings of tank cars went radiating in all directions from the Wyatt oil fields to the industries in distant states. No one spoke about them. To the knowledge of the public, the tank trains moved as silently as rays, and, as rays, they were noticed only when they became the light of electric lamps, the heat of furnaces, and the movement of motors, but as such, they were not noticed. They were only taken for granted. The Phoenix Durango Railroad was to end operations on July 25th. Hank Reardon is a greedy monster, people said. Look at the fortune he's made. Has he ever given anything in return? Has he ever known any sign of social conscience? Money. That's all he's after. He'll do anything for money. What does he care if people lose their lives when his bridge collapses? The Taggarts have been a band of vultures for generations, people said. It's in their blood. Just remember the founder of that family was Nat Taggart, the most notoriously antisocial scoundrel that's ever lived, who bled the country white to squeeze a fortune for himself. You can be sure that a Taggart won't hesitate to risk the lives of people in order to make a fortune. They brought inferior rail because it's cheaper than steel. What do they care about catastrophes and mangled human bodies after they've collected the fares? People said it because other people said it. They did not know why it was being said and heard everywhere. They did not give or ask for reasons. Reason, Dr. Pritchett had told them, is the most naive of all superstitions. The source of public opinion, said Claudia Slanghop in a radio speech, there is no source of public opinion. It is spontaneously generated. It is a reflex of the collective instinct of the collective mind. Oren Boyle gave an interview to The Globe, the news magazine with the largest circulation, 
The interview was devoted to the subject of the grave social responsibility of metallurgists, stressing the fact that metal performs so many crucial tasks where human lives depended on its quality. One should not, it seems to me, use human beings as guinea pigs in the launching of a new product, he said. He mentioned no names. I don't say that the bridge will collapse, said the chief metallurgist of Associated Steel on a television program. I don't say it at all. I just say that if I had any children, I wouldn't let them ride on the first train that's going across the bridge. But it's only a personal preference, nothing more, just because I'm overly fond of children. I don't claim that Reardon Taggart contraption will collapse, wrote Bertram Scudder in the future. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but that's not the important issue. The important issue is what protection does society have against the arrogance, selfishness, and greed of two unbridled individualists whose record are conspicuously devoid of any public-spirited actions. These two, apparently, are willing to stake the lives of their fellow men on their own conceited notions about their powers of judgment against the overwhelmingly majority opinion of recognized experts. Should society permit it? If that thing does collapse, won't it be too late to take precautionary measures? Won't it be like locking the barn after the horse has escaped? It has always been the belief of this column that certain kinds of horses should be kept bridled and locked on general social principles. A group that called itself Committee of Disinterested Citizens collected signatures on a petition demanding a year study of the John Galt line by government experts before the first train was allowed to run. The petition stated that its signers had no motive other than a sense of civic duty. The first signatures were those of Balfe Eubank and Mort Liddy. The petition was given a great deal of space and comment in all newspapers. The consideration it received was respectful, because it came from people who were disinterested. No space was given by the newspapers to the progress of the construction of the John Gold Line. No reporter was sent to look at the famous scene. The general policy of the press had been stated by an editor five years ago. There is no objective facts, he had said. Every report on facts is only someone's opinion. It is, therefore, useless to write about facts. A few businessmen thought that one should think about the possibility that there might be commercial value to Reardon Metal. They undertook a survey of the question. They did not hire metallurgists to examine samples, nor engineers to visit the site of construction. They took a public poll. 10,000 people guaranteed to represent every existing kind of brain were asked the question, would you ride on the John Gold Line? The answer overwhelmingly was, no siree. No voices were heard in public in defense of Reardon Metal. And nobody attached significance to the fact that the stock of Taggart Transcontinental was rising on the market, very slowly, almost furtively. There were men who watched and played safe. Mr. Moen bought Taggart stock in the name of his sister. Ben Neely bought it in the name of a cousin. Paul Larkin bought it under an alias. I don't believe in raising controversial issues, said one of these men. Oh yes, of course the construction is moving on schedule, said James Taggart, shrugging to his board of directors. Oh yes, you may feel full confidence. My dear sister does not happen to be a human being, but just an internal combustion engine, so one must not wonder at her success. When James Taggart heard a rumor that some bridge girders had split and crashed, killing three workmen, he leaped to his feet and ran to his secretary's office, ordering him to call Colorado. He waited, pressed against the secretary's desk, 
as if seeking protection. His eyes had the unfocused look of panic. Yet his mouth moved suddenly into almost a smile, and he said, I'll give anything to see Henry Reardon's face right now. When he heard that the rumor was false, he said, Thank God! But his voice had a note of disappointment. Oh well, said Philip Reardon to his friends hearing the same rumor. Maybe he can fail too once in a while. Maybe my great brother isn't as great as he thinks. Darling, said Lillian Reardon to her husband, I fought for you yesterday at a tea where women were saying that Dagny Taggart is your mistress. Oh, for heaven's sake, don't look at me like that. I know it's preposterous, and I gave them hell for it. It's just that those silly bitches can't imagine any other reason why a woman would take a stand against everybody for the sake of your medal. Of course I know better than that. I know that that Taggart woman is perfectly sexless and doesn't give a damn about you. And darling, I know that if you ever had the courage for anything of that sort, which you haven't, you wouldn't go for an adding machine in tailored suits. You'd go for some blonde feminine chorus girl who, oh, but Henry, don't, I'm only joking. Don't look at me like that. Dagny, James Taggart said miserably, what's going to happen to us? Taggart Transcontinental has become so unpopular. Dagny laughed in enjoyment of the moment any moment, as if the undercurrent of enjoyment was constant within her, and little was needed to tap it. She laughed easily, her mouth relaxed and open, her teeth were very white against her sun-scorched face. Her eyes had the look, acquired in an open country, of being set for great distances. On her last few visits to New York, he had noticed that she looked at him as if she did not see him. What are we going to do? The public is so overwhelmingly against us. Jim, do you remember the story they tell about Nat Taggart? He said that he envied only one of his competitors, the one who said, The public be damned. He wished he had said it himself. In the summer days and in the heavy stillness of the evenings of the city, there were moments when a lonely man or woman, on a park bench, on a street corner, at an open window, would see in a newspaper a brief mention of the progress of the John Galt line, and would look at the city with a sudden stab of love. They were the very young, who felt that it was the kind of event they longed to see happening in the world, or the very old, who had seen a world in which such events did happen. They did not care about railroads, they did not know anything about business, they knew only that someone was fighting against great odds and winning. They did not admire the fighter's purpose. They believed the voices of public opinion. When they read that the line was growing, they felt a moment's sparkle and wondered why it made their own problems seem easier. Silently, unknown to everyone except the freight yard of Traggard Transcontinental in Cheyenne, the office of the John Gold Line in the dark alley freight was rolling in and orders for cars were piling up for the first train to run on the John Gold Line. Dagny Taggart had announced that the first train would not be a passenger express loaded with celebrities and politicians, as was the custom, but a freight special. The freight came from farms, from lumber yards, from mines all over the country, from distant places whose last means of survival were the new factories of Colorado. No one wrote about these shipments because they were men who were not disinterested. The Phoenix Durangle Railroad was to close on July 25th. The first train of the John Gold Line was to run on July 22nd. Well, it's like this, Miss Taggart, said the delegate of the Union of Locomotive Engineers. 
I don't think we're going to allow you to run that train. Dagny sat at her battered desk against the blotched wall of her office. She said without moving, get out of here. It was a sentence the man had never heard in the polished offices of railroad executives. He looked bewildered. I came to tell you, if you have anything to say to me, start over again. What? Don't tell me what you're going to allow me to do. Well, I meant we're not going to allow our men to run your train. That's different. Well, that's what we've decided. Who's decided it? The committee. What you're going to do is a violation of human rights. You can't force men to go out to get killed when that bridge collapses just to make money for you. She searched for a sheet of blank paper and handed it to him. Put it down in writing, she said, and we'll sign a contract to the effect. What contract? That no member of your union will ever be employed to run an engine on the John Gold Line. Why, wait a minute, I haven't said you don't want to sign such a contract. No, I, why not? Since you, ha since you know the bridge will collapse, I only want, I know what you want. You want a stranglehold on your men by means of the jobs which I give them, and on me by means of your men. You want me to provide the jobs, and you want me to make it impossible for me to have any jobs to provide. Now I'll give you a choice. That train is going to run. You have no choice about that. You can choose whether it's going to be run by one of your men or not. If you choose not to let them, the train will still run. If I have to drive the engine myself. Then if the bridge collapses, there won't be any railroad left in existence anyway. But if it doesn't collapse, no member of your union will ever get a job on the John Gold Line. If you think that I need your men more than they need me, choose accordingly. If you know that I can run an engine, but they can't build a railroad, choose according to that. Now, are you going to forbid your men to run that train? I didn't say we'd forbid it. I haven't said anything about forbidding. But, but you can't force men to risk their lives on something nobody's ever tried before. I'm not going to force anyone to take that run. What are you going to do? I'm going to ask for a volunteer. And if none of them volunteers, then it'll be my problem, not yours. Well, let me tell you that I'm going to advise them to refuse. Go ahead. Advise them anything you wish. Tell them whatever you like. And leave the choice to them. Don't try to forbid it. The notice that appeared in every roundhouse of the Taggart system was signed Eddie Willers, Vice President in Charge of Operation. It asked engineers who were willing to drive the first train on the John Gold Line to inform the office of Mr. Willers not later than 11 a.m. July 15th. It was a quarter to 11 on the morning of the 15th when the telephone rang in her office. It was Eddie, calling from high up in the Taggart building outside her window. Dagny, I think you'd better come over. His voice sounded queer. She hurried across the street, then down the marbled halls to the door that still carried the name Dagny Taggart on its glass panel. She pulled the door open. The anteroom of the office was full. Men stood jammed among the desks against the walls. As she entered, they took off their hats in sudden silence. She saw the graying heads, the muscular shoulders. She saw the smiling faces of her staff at their desks and the face of Eddie Willers at the end of the room. Everybody knew that nothing had to be said. Eddie stood by the open door of her office. The crowd parted to let her approach him. He moved his hands, pointing at the room, then at the pile of letters and telegrams. Dagny, 
Every one of them, he said. Every engineer on Tagger Transcontinental. Those who could came here, some from as far as the Chicago division. He pointed at the mail. There's the rest of them. To be exact, there's only three I haven't heard from. One's on vacation in the North Woods, one's in the hospital, and one's in jail for reckless driving of his automobile. She looked at the men. She saw the suppressed grins on the solemn faces. She inclined her head in acknowledgement. She stood for a moment, head bowed, as if she were accepting a verdict, knowing that the verdict applied to her, to every man in the room, and to the world beyond the walls of the building. Thank you, she said. Most of the men had seen her many times. Looking at her, as she raised her head, many of them thought in astonishment for the first time that the face of their operating vice president was the face of a woman, and that it was beautiful. Someone in the back of the crowd cried suddenly, cheerfully, To hell with Jim Taggart! An explosion answered him. The men laughed, they cheered, they broke into applause. The response was out of all proportion to the sentence, but the sentence had given them the excuse they needed. They seemed to be applauding the speaker, an insolent defiance of authority. But everyone in the room knew who it was they were cheering. She raised her hand. We're too early, she said, laughing. Wait till a week from today. That's when we ought to celebrate, and believe me, we will. They drew lots for the run. She picked a folded slip of paper from among a pile containing all their names. The winner was not in the room, but he was one of the best men of the system, Pat Logan, engineer of the Taggart Comet of the Nebraska Division. Wire Pat and tell him he's been demoted to a freight, she said to Eddie. She added casually, as if this was the last mo moment decision, but it fooled no one. Oh yes, tell him that I'm going to ride with him in the cab of the engine on that run. An old engineer beside her grinned and said, I thought you would, Miss Taggart. Reardon was in New York on the day that Dagny telephoned him from her office. Hank, I'm going to have a press conference tomorrow. He laughed aloud. No. Yes. Her voice sounded earnest, but dangerously a bit too earnest. The newspapers had suddenly discovered me and are asking questions. I'm going to answer them. Have a good time. I will. Are you going to be in town tomorrow? I'd like to have you in on it. Okay, I wouldn't want to miss it. The reporters who came to the press conference in the office of the John Galt line were young men who had been trained to think that their job consisted of concealing from the world the nature of events. It was their daily duty to serve as audience for some public figure who made utterances about the public good in phrases carefully chosen to convey no meaning. It was their daily job to sling words together in any combination they pleased, so long as the words did not fall into a sequence saying something specific. They could not understand the interview now being given to them. Dagny Taggart sat behind her desk in an office that looked like a slum basement. She wore a dark blue suit with a white blouse, beautifully tailored, suggesting an air of formal, almost military elegance. She sat straight and her manner was severely dignified, just a shade too dignified. Reardon sat in the corner of the room, sprawled across a broken armchair, his long legs thrown over one of its arms, his body leaning against the other. His manner was pleasantly informal, just a bit too informal. In a clear, monotonous voice of a military report, consulting no papers, looking straight at the men, 
Dagny recited the technological facts about the John Gold Line, giving exact figures on the nature of the rail, the capacity of the bridge, the method of construction, the costs. Then, in a dry tone of a banker, she explained the financial prospects of the line and named the large profits she expected to make. That is all, she said. All, said one of the reporters. Aren't you going to give us a message for the public? That was my message. But hell, I mean, aren't you going to defend yourself? Against what? Don't you want to tell us something to justify your line? I just did. A man with a mouth shaped as a permanent sneer asked, Well, what I want to know, as Bertram Scudder stated, is what protection do we have against your line being no good? Don't ride on it, she said. Another asked, Aren't you going to tell us your motive for building that line? I have told you, the profit which I would expect to make. Oh, Miss Taggart, don't say that, cried a young boy. He was new. He was still honest about his job, and he felt that he liked Miss Dagny Taggart without knowing why. That's the wrong thing to say. That's what they're all saying about you. Are they? I'm sure you didn't mean it the way it sounds, and... And I'm sure you'll want to clarify it. Why, yes, if you wish me to. The average profit of railroads has been 2% of the capital invested. An industry that does so much and keeps so little should consider itself immoral. As I have explained, the cost of the John Gold Line in relation to the traffic which I will carry makes me expect a profit of no less than 15% on our investment. Of course, any industrial profit above 4% is considered usury nowadays. I shall nevertheless do my best to make the John Gold Line earn a profit of 20% for me, if possible. That was my motive for building the line. Have I made myself clear now? The boy was looking at her helplessly. You don't mean to earn a profit for you, Miss Taggart. You mean for the small stockholders, of course. Why no, she said. I happen to be one of the largest stockholders of Taggart Transcontinental, so my share of the profits will be one of the largest. Now, Mr. Reardon is in a much more fortunate position because he has no stockholders to share with. Or would you rather make your own statement, Mr. Reardon? Yes, gladly, said Mr. Reardon. Inasmuch as the formula of Reardon metal is my own personal secret, and in view of the fact that the metal costs much less to produce than you boys can imagine, I expect to skin the public to the tune of a profit of 25% in the next few years. What do you mean, skin the public, Mr. Reardon? asked the boy. If it's true, as I've read in your ads, that the metal will last three times longer than any other and at half the price, wouldn't the public be getting a bargain? Oh, have you noticed that, Miss said Reardon. Do the two of you realize you're talking for publication? asked the man with a sneer. But Mr. Hopkins, said Dagny in polite astonishment, is there any reason why we would talk to you if it weren't for a publication? Do you want us to quote all the things you've said? I hope I may trust you to be sure and quote them. Would you oblige me by taking d this down verbatim? She paused to see their pencils ready, then dictated. Miss Taggart says, quote, I expect to make a pile of money on the John Gold line. I will have earned it. Close quote. Thank you so much. Any questions, gentlemen? Asked Raiden. There were no questions. Now I must tell you about the opening of the John Gold Line, said Dagny. The first train will depart from the station of Taggart Transcontinental in Cheyenne, Wyoming at 4 p.m. on July 22nd. It will be a freight special consisting of 80 cars. It will be driven by an 8,000 horsepower 
four-unit diesel locomotive, which I'm leasing from Tiger Transcontinental for the occasion. It will run non-stop to Wyatt Junction, Colorado, traveling at an average speed of 100 miles per hour. I beg your pardon? She asked, hearing the long, low sound of a whistle. What did you say, Miss Taggart? I said 100 miles per hour, grades, curves, and all. But shouldn't you cut the speed below normal rather than... Miss Taggart, don't you have any consideration whatever for public opinion? Oh, but I do. If it weren't for public opinion, an average speed of 65 miles per hour would have been quite sufficient. Who's going to run that train? I've had quite a bit of trouble about that. All Taggart engineers volunteered to do it. So did the firemen, and the brakemen, and the conductors. So we had to draw lots for every job on the train's crew. The engineer will be Pat Logan of Taggart Comet. The fireman, Ray McKimmy. I shall ride in the cab of the engine with them. Not really. Please do attend the opening. It's on July 22nd. The press is most eagerly invited. Contrary to my usual policy, I have become a publicity hound. Really. I should like to have spotlights, radio microphones, and television cameras. I suggest that you plant a few cameras around the bridge. The collapse of the bridge would give you some interesting shots. Miss Taggart, asked Reardon, why didn't you mention that I'm going to ride in that engine too? She looked at him across the room, and for a moment, they were alone, holding each other's glance. Yes, of course, Mr. Reardon, she answered.